Welcome to Emergo Radio, a place where a brain-first lifestyle matters, a place of impact and inspiration, a place where your hosts, Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny, coach you to rise above. Welcome to Emergo Radio. My name is Dave Kenny. And my name is Susan Kenny. We're here today to talk about a subject that's really dear to us, actualized recovery, a brain-first approach to recovery, wellness, and well-being. And part one of this series of actualized recovery, we talked more about the brain and neuroscience, neuroplasticity, and neurogenesis, and also of the five elements of actualized recovery. And those were biology. We pulled that apart and talked about that at great length and psychological, as well as now today, we're going to dive deeper into the spiritual part of this program, the social and the connections and the value there, even on the brain, and of lifestyle changes and enriched environments. And so today we're going to really focus in on these three new areas that comprise actualized recovery. So Susan, let's talk about the spiritual side of it. Why is that so important in our journey of wellness and self-discovery? Dave, spirit, you know, I mean, there's a lot of mind, body, spirit, and, and a lot of people have different interpretations of that. Here's what we believe, is that the spirit is the essence of who you are at, at the deepest level. And in order to, to really be happy and, and feel like you're contributing in the world and feel a sense of calm, this is flourishing and you're living on purpose and with great meaning. So that's what we focus on when we're helping people is what is unique to you? What is, what is so different and what is so wonderful about you that you can share with this world? Part of the spiritual thing is that some people hear the word and go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? It's not religion. That's, that's how somebody chooses to practice their faith. And that should be a free choice in the world. But it's, it's not about a religion or a higher power. Spiritual is about us as individuals. What makes us smile? What, what are our great passions? What's our purpose in life? And part of that can come out of positive psychology and understanding our gifts and our skills, which we talked about in the first show. But it really is about a mind-body connection, about giving gratitude. And gratitude is such a powerful thing, even for the brain, and positively impacts uh, our brain in, in the sense of neuroplasticity. So the spiritual development of who we are as a person is really critical to our overall happiness. I want to just go back to something you said. You said a mind-body connection. And really what what we're looking at is a brain and body connection and so for the last four or five decades we've been told that the the mind and the brain are very different from the rest of the body and that's simply not true we're a very integrated system and so to to have the spiritual connection again i'm going to take it back to brain function your brain has to be functioning and it has to be communicating with the autonomic nervous system, the limbic system throughout the body. And that's what actualized recovery is. It's a brain first, not a brain only, but brain first or neurological function first. Again, I want to reintroduce Maslow's hierarchy of needs and self-actualization. 
And at the, that's at the top. That's the pinnacle. And what I want us to focus on, uh, the Brain First program of actualized recovery focuses first on the physiological, which is the foundation to this. We've got to make sure that we're sleeping properly. We've got to make sure we're nourishing properly and our brain is functioning properly. But within that and around that, one of those key elements is that spiritual development of who we are and what makes us happy and our purpose in life. So the next part of this uh, actualized recovery program is a social or our connections. Susan, you like speaking about the connections mm-hmm. and what are the benefits there for us? So in positive psychology, which was my background, it's what they found when they pulled away everything uh, geographically, finances, age, everything, every other uh, um, indicator. The one thing that really brought great happiness was deep, meaningful relationships. And so really putting into connecting at a level, not not Facebook friends. That's not what I'm talking about. And I, I love LinkedIn, but that's not the deep, meaningful connections. They are sitting around the table. They're sitting around the fire. They are... Uh, interacting with somebody at a deeper level, even if they're not close to you, even being out shopping and caring and and being kind and acts of kindness and things like that. But I want to go to a a neurological thing, and and that is also Marion Diamond, who was the pioneer, and she was a fabulous neuroscientist in the 60s. She's the pioneer who first discovered, and her team and her first discovered neuroplasticity in her work because she was a woman and in the 60s it was it was dismissed however in the late 90s it was actually accepted and and it is today we do know that our brain can change and grow in size and one of those things that she talks about you know diet exercise challenge newness but the other one is love and as you recall in her study they actually believe that by picking up the rats and 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 giving love and physical touch help brain function and brain size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were collaborating with other scientists in Europe. And the European scientists were really kind of shocked that the American scientists weren't picking up the rats and holding them close and loving them and stroking them and showing them kindness. What they found is that the rats lived so much longer just by introducing love. I want to take this about social and connections into the, into the field of addictions and recovery. The field of addictions and recovery has come from this place of an experiment that was widely accepted socially, and, and that was put a rat in a cage, simple cage, two water bottles, one water, one water, and heroin. Well, guess what? Nine out of ten rats took to the water and heroin and became pretty manic about it and, and would obsess about it, became heavily addicted to it, and uh, actually ended up dying as a result of overdosing on the heroin water and forgot about food and other things. And so it, it created a shortened lifespan. And so this was accepted as, oh, my God, heroin is absolutely addictive properties. And then in about the late 70s, Dr. Alexander came along um, and he created, he looked at this experiment. Wait a minute, it's a little bit of a flaw because we don't live in isolation. Rats typically don't live in isolation. So he created rat park. 
is about 200 times the size of the cage. There was 18 to 20 of their friends. So they had tunnels, they had wheels, they had an environment, an enriched environment, which again goes back to Marion Diamond. She says an enriched environment helps the brain flourish. And he created this for rats. They had, they had friends, social connections, they had sex, they had water, and they had the heroin water. And lo and behold, the majority of the rats did not like and did not take to the heroin water. Some did, and when they did, they took a, a minuscule amount, a very, very small amount compared to the rats that were in the cage alone. And so they, they, their lives actually, they flourished. So what is the impact of our social connections? And, and think about that. What do we do with people who are addicted? We, we shun them and we lock them up and we put them away. My God, that's just like what was happening to the rats who are isolated. And, and instead of creating deep, meaningful connections, which we know help a brain and we know in positive psychology is a key thing, now we know in addictions it actually stops and, and changes addictive patterns. So we uh, a great reference here too, Dave, is Johan Hari. And he's got a, a wonderful TED Talk. His original book was called Chasing the Scream. And it's exactly what you're saying is that we, we need to step away from this idea of punishing people. What we need is, is nurturing. What we need is an enriched environment. His latest book is, is something that we've been sharing with our clientele and, and sharing and coaching. It's called Lost Connections. And so his book supports that as well, is that when we feel connected socially, emotionally, when we, f when we care about others, that the need for substances is greatly diminished. One could argue we're also now tying back in the spiritual development mm -hmm. of having a deep, meaningful connections and purpose. Mm -hmm. And then and then the last part of actualized recovery, this brain-first approach to wellness and well-being, is lifestyle. You want to speak to that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to. So, so again, practicing functional medicine, one of the things that we rely heavily on is looking at DNA and looking at how the body responds physiologically. And we respond in a very ancestral way. So for thousands of generations, we thrived and we flourished by eating whole foods, by following a sleep circadian rhythm. Movement was important. Uh, of course, we didn't have the distractions and the stress that we have now. And so practicing something that is so good for your DNA. This is how we evolved is ancestral and, and it's really reliant on a lifestyle. Ancestral brings to mind the paleo movement and the paleolithic kind mm -hmm. of from our caveman type era. And, mm -hmm. and it really is more though than food. Mm -hmm. This isn't about eating a Fred Flintstone brontosaurus burger. Paleo gets a bad rap that way. It really is eating two thirds about great uh, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, some nuts, good fats, and yes, some clean meats. Yeah, plants are absolutely the focus in a paleo diet. And and also um, the the community of coming together to, to cook a meal, to eat a meal, is an important part of those connections. 
So whole foods, real foods. Now we're also, though, talking about, because if it's ancestral or paleolithic, you've got to talk about movement. Movement's a key. And actually, it's one of the things the brain thrives on is is great food and good fats and water. We've talked about that earlier. But movement, because the brain loves oxygen. And the more your heart pumps, you're feeding that brain. And so it really thrives when we have uh, uh, regular movement. And having being out in nature, it's essential. Human beings are meant to be connected. We are meant to be grounded. And being in nature, you know, people talk about it. Where's your happiest place? It's it's the beach. It's walking and hiking in the forest. That's a big part of, of lifestyle, healthy brain lifestyle. Biophilia, the effect and the positive effect of nature and even animals on us humans and our spirit. And then we also have to look into things about limiting toxins in our physical environment. And, and along the lines of food, too, we, we live in a, a world today where the minerals and the vitamins in food are greatly diminished, typically by the time we get them. Not, not many of us have our own garden. And so supplementation, basic supplementation, is extremely important for the brain. Omega-3s being powerful, they, they help the brain in terms of being able to process information and being able to sleep. So it's called an essential fatty acid for a reason. Omegas are, are very important. We believe in, and the science supports, the IV vitamin therapy. So we've, we did a lot of research. Dr. Abram Hoffer was the first to introduce high doses of vitamin C, amino acids, niacin, and and magnesium and he ran a mental hospital out of Weyburn Saskatchewan yeah, and and was healing people with food and high doses of supplementation well I'm going to go back into the world of recovery and talk about this Bill W was one of the founding fathers and the number one founding father one would argue creating AA or Alcoholics Anonymous and the entire 12-step movement and in the 30s, Bill W. struggled himself, and so this became, and he joined a group, a spiritual group called Oxford, but he took that into hospitals and began to create this 12-step program. And I'll fast forward to from the 30s now to about 1955, and so the AA movement is, is chugging along and doing well, and it's beyond his capacity, and he's, he's just overwhelmed, but also... Uh, lo and behold, he's still struggling himself. He's not drinking, but he doesn't feel as though he's reached a state of well-being and wellness. And so 1955, he turns over AA to a board of trustees. And then he, he continues on his search until about 1960, and he met Dr. Hoffer at a conference, and he was, he was continuing his journey of, of health, wellness, and still struggling specifically with anxiety and depression. And he attributes those back to alcohol and, and what he learned was some nutrient deficiencies. But Dr. Hoffer talked to him and put him on a mega dose and recommended or suggested he go on a mega dose of niacin, which is B3. In a matter of three weeks, Bill W. has reported, and you can read, the, you can read his own reports, reported that his anxiety and depression lifted. He was symptom-free. Well, this was a study of one. So Bill W. set to, and he got a group of 30 people who had similar issues as, and were drinkers, uh, alcoholics, and they did the same thing. In a matter of a couple of weeks, about, about a third of them 
were symptom-free. And at the end of 30 days, 66% or two-thirds of that group became symptom-free. And about one-third of the group didn't have a whole lot of response. However, the the two-thirds or 66% of the group that he tested were not only were sober, were happier. They had no anxiety. They had no depression, which they suffered from before. And so then he took takes that back shortly thereafter and he takes this study back and he goes to the board at AA wanting to introduce science to this wonderful group and it's rejected and it is it's absolutely rejected and then he takes a second run at the board with Dr. Hoffer and they go to a conference and they're rejected a second time and you know one can get into why and all that but they had a certain way of doing it and they weren't open to the new sciences and Dr. Hoffer talked about this as a form of brain therapy. And to introduce, too, we know that there are two types of mindsets. There is a growth mindset, which means that you are accepting and you are able to integrate uh, new learning. And there's a fixed mindset. And this plays into lifestyle and happiness as well, Dave. So the people that are in a very stuck, fixed mindset are rigid and, and have a hard time in life just accepting change. The other part of lifestyle that we, and we kind of love this, and it's quite interesting because when clients first come to us, especially the 40 and 50 year old clients, this is this one they actually push back on. It's play and fun. Play therapy. Stuart, Dr. Stuart Brown, wonderful book, and it's called Play. And in it, he cites the science and, and talks about why play is so important from a neurological point of view. Game night. It's amazing. Do it with your family. Once every two weeks to turn all the electronics off and focus on play, fun, and genuine laughter. We work play into all parts of our clients' day. So everybody has chores. Everybody at home has to do work. We have to do cleaning. We've given it a completely different spin. We call it rock the house. Yeah, baby. And the the music goes on (laughs) and the house is rocking and everybody is doing it at the same time. And we've taken something that is traditionally looked upon in a very negative way, and and people are energized after we finish Rock the House. Welcome to step four. Just before that, we talked about social and connections. Do it with your family. Turn the music up. Have some fun. Make a competition out of it. And everybody participate. There's your social connections. So those are the five elements of actualized recovery. This brain-first approach to happiness, wellness, and well-being. And, and again, they comprise biology or the physiology, psychological, spiritual, social and connections, and lifestyle. And by implementing these, the actualized recovery and, and bringing them into your life, there's no doubt that you will achieve a state of greater happiness, peace, and joy. Thanks for being with us today. So here's the question. It's the end of our segment. Dave, what are you going to do today to rise above? Oh, I love this. I'm going to work on playing fun this afternoon. I want to bring that, and I'm going to bring it big. And uh, when I get back, I'm going to make sure that we play a game of pickleball. My God, I love pickleball. Pickleball, if you don't know, it's played on a little court, but it's like when tennis met table tennis and they married and had a baby it's pickleball a lot of fun (laughs) it is a lot of fun Uh, my rise above today is going to be practicing self-care 
and I have a beautiful, relaxing massage booked for 90 minutes this afternoon. Love That's my rise above. Love that and osteopath. Love an osteopath. Too. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. In gratitude, we thank you for joining us on Emergo Radio, a place where you rise above with your hosts, Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and learn. Want more? You can reach us at emergoradio.com. That's E-M-E-R-G-O radio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.